You're listening to the Soul Care Podcast. I'm Elaine Hamilton, the founder of the Soul Care House, a group of therapists working in community with a shared perspective about the path towards healing and change. This podcast is about creating a space for real conversations about real life struggles, a place where you can gather insight and support for issues that are relevant to you and the people you love. So sit back, put your feet up, and let's talk. Hi, everyone. I'm sitting here with Kylie Baker Bishop, who's one of the genius therapists on our team. Um, and Kylie works a lot with young women, and one of her areas of expertise and a lot of experience is working with um, women around um, sexual assault, recovery from sexual abuse, that sort of thing, um, and all the all the things that come along with that. So uh, she and I thought we would have a conversation today about particularly about sexual assault what it is, what it isn't, what consent has to do with that, um, because it's so hugely important for us to talk about that. Um, our culture is talking about that right now, which is so great. It's like super needed for us to address that. So we're going to have um, a conversation about that today and um, just want to acknowledge that this could be a triggering conversation, could be difficult to listen to. We hope it'll be super helpful, but we recognize that um, this is the experience of many, many people, and um, it's very emotional, and it's very difficult um, to face and to process. So we just wanted to encourage um, encourage you to think about, like, is, is this a good time in your day? Um, are you in a place where you feel safe and comfortable? And do you have anything important to do after this? So um, just want you to give yourself some room um, to think about this, uh, because for, for some folks, it'll be difficult um, to listen to. Um, anything else you want to say about that, Kylie, about preparing for this conversation? Yeah, I would. Um, I think, yeah, this is such a complex and nuanced conversation mm-hmm. that we're going to try to pack in in like a very short p- time period. So some of this may be very relevant to some of you and some of it may not. And so you're not abnormal if it doesn't relate to you or if you don't connect with what we talk about. But um, we just, yeah, we just want to kind of give that disclaimer. The other the other piece is that I would say that this topic becomes increasingly more complex at the intersection of like gender, sexuality, race, uh, economics, power dynamics, um, orientation, disabilities, and all of that. So mm-hmm. we're sensitive to that, but we may not be able to kind of discuss all those different layers of identity and yeah. how that impacts yeah. one's experience of sexual assault. But mm-hmm. that is important. So let's define sexual assault. So sexual assault is any type of sexual contact or behavior that occurs without the explicit consent of the recipient. Mm -hmm. So, and we can get more into consent and what that means, but this could be anywhere from groping, grabbing, fondling, obviously molestation and rape would be included in that, Mm -hmm. attempted rape, but also indecent exposure, which doesn't include contact, physical contact, but that sort of psychological sexual assault. Yeah, if somebody sends you a text message um a picture of their parts yes is that sexual assault yes yes totally great if somebody grabs your boob on a bus absolutely 
Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. And so an important thing to, to mention there is that it doesn't have to intend to be an assault for it to be still an assault. Mm-hmm. So um, especially in the context of our culture with like dating apps and things, it mm-hmm. can be very minimized or trivialized when we're talking about unsolicited nude pics. That's right. super common on right. dating apps. And yeah. so it can be really hard to call it an assault yeah. for people who experience this thing regularly. Right. So because it's regular or normal in our culture, it doesn't mean it's not assault. Yeah. And not painful. Yeah. I think that's so important to recognize that there's a difference between what people think of or label as normal mm-hmm. and what's healthy, right? Yes. So Two very different things in our culture, <laughs> right? especially. Yeah. Right. You're just trying to get to know somebody. Mm-hmm. And then they're taking it to this whole other place. And you're like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm just barely getting to know you. And you think we're there? Mm-hmm. Like, we are not there. Mm-hmm. I didn't consent to that. I didn't invite that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready for that. And it feels icky to me mm-hmm. that you went there. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about consent. Yes. So consent is positive and enthusiastic co- cooperation and act and attitude. So... Um, it means a lot of things, and it means basically that the participants fully understand the nature of the act, which is why consent is impossible for children. Mm-hmm. Um, acting with complete and free will and voluntarily, and again, that's why consent is not possible for children. Mm-hmm. Free will is limited when you're 10 years old. Yeah, um, and they can't possibly understand the meaning. Yes, or the, w- the nature. Yeah, they can't understand the nature of this experience. Exactly. So they can't consent to it. Exactly. And free will also would be included in the conversation around power dynamics. So if you're dependent on that person for Mm -hmm. a job or for your well-being or for finances, um, it can be really hard to say, does that person really have free will to consent? Right. Um, When it might be used for coercion or um, pressure or, you know, things like that. So Mm -hmm. um, the other part is that it would be like there's complete freedom for the participant to change their mind at any point. So the relationship has to be able to contain one's ability to change their mind. Hmm. So that's another part that's really important. And then that it's just affirmative consent at every step as the sexual act progresses. So I could be making out with my boyfriend in the backseat of a car and and things are hot and heavy and it's awesome. But then I don't really feel like doing it anymore. Or, or it really feels feel like. it feels too fast, or it feels too aggressive, right? Yeah, like that, or that happens sometimes. Where like I was really enjoying kissing you, but now I feel like all of a sudden you sort of shifted gears, and yes. I feel like I lost you. Like totally. I feel like now this isn't about you and I. This is about something that you want to do to mm-hmm. me. Totally. Um, or there's all of a sudden an expectation that it has to progress, and now yeah. um, the narrative, especially for young women, is like, oh, well, I've already been making out, so I don't want to mm-hmm. let him down, or I can't say no at this point because he probably thinks that I want it, and so right. saying no becomes more difficult, and so right. So it really has to be clear: can the relationship ha- the relationship handle a no, mm-hmm. and can the relationship also contain nonverbal cues? Yes, which is so important. Which oh yeah, where someone could pick up, oh you're not into this, or yes. oh you're feeling like what just happened it right. seems like you're not wanting to proceed yes. and because it has to be p- positive and enthusiastic cooperation yeah so if it's no longer positive and enthusiastic there's mm-hmm. clearly no consent so part of like what consent isn't is um like silence or the absence of a no mm-hmm. doesn't mean that there's consent mm-hmm. does that make sense mm-hmm 
So like, and then of course, like accepting a gift or a drink or dinner, that's not consent. Um, being in a relationship is not consent. Mm -hmm. Consent to one act is not consent to others. Sort of like I was mentioning, um, a woman's body or a lack of clothes is not consent. If you have to convince your partner or this person that you're having a sexual encounter with, it's not consent. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, anytime there's persuading, somebody's trying to persuade. Yeah, not consent. That's that's clearly we're not on the same page, Mm -hmm. and so this is a Mm non-starter. Yeah. And that's often what, I mean, the stories, a lot of the stories I've heard from young people of just like, well, they asked, um, the 10th the time they asked, I finally gave in. Yeah. Because I didn't want to be pestered anymore, or I didn't want to right. feel like a tease, or I didn't want to feel uh, bad. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. or, you know, the lie, of course, I'm sure you've heard this a million times too, the lie that a male's body needs it, mm-hmm. um, needs right. a release, or right. it's going to be painful for them. Right. And so the pressure, or the guilt that maybe a female might experience or or a homosexual male might experience with that mm-hmm. yeah. pressure. Yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody ever died from not having an orgasm, I don't think. No. Pretty sure. <laughs> Pretty sure, no. <laughs> I think there would have been, that would have been in the news mm-hmm. if that was a real thing. Okay, um, so let's talk about what impacts consent. Yeah, so that's good. Uh, obviously, if someone's intoxicated, they're not able to resist mm-hmm. so or resist on the and the way on the acts that they would have otherwise resisted right um if they weren't intoxicated so that obviously impacts one's ability to say no or to resist different parts of the mm-hmm. sexual act as it progresses obviously the consciousness mm-hmm. uh, that reminds me of that video of, yes of if tea. anyone's ever seen that yeah the video <laughs> of the cartoon of drinking tea yes if you haven't seen so it good. youtube it now um, so good. Because it's just a little illustration about if someone's sleeping, they can't take tea. If you put tea down in front of them, they don't respond to it. That's not them wanting tea, so right. don't take it. So it's the same thing. Obviously, if someone's not responding um, because they're sleeping or intoxicated, then that's that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, disabilities. Um, something I mentioned before was age. Obviously, if someone's um, a lot younger than the perpetrator or the, than the other participant, then that can really create a disparity in understanding what the impact of the event is, uh-huh. uh, sort of what we said before, the nature of the event. So uh-huh. it can impact someone's ability to say yes or no, For or sure. to really understand. Uh-huh. The other thing is uh, fear of retaliation from the other person. So uh-huh. if there's pressure or coercion, that can impact someone's ability to say no. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the relationship to the perpetrator. Yeah. That can impact someone's ability to, mm-hmm. to say no mm-hmm. or to um you know freeze up yeah uh, and not really know what they want when right. the when there's power dynamics or if it's a family member for example mm-hmm. um, and even inside a relationship even inside a marriage there can yes. be this sense of coercion right we're talking no. about any kind of dynamic where you're feeling coerced either um, mildly or severely mm-hmm. to participate or accept um, sexual advances from someone when you just really don't want to. Mm-hmm. I think that's a. I think it's a really good point. There is such a wide range of experiences yeah. of severe coercion, where it's like the gunpoint situation, right, right? Or there's like the oh come on, why don't you love me? Yeah, and it's like a sort of emotional manipulation. Yeah, I think often people don't recognize the mm-hmm. ways in which they are manipulated and how that's really painful to be mm-hmm. able to limit your ability to say no. Right. Or to really know what you even want anymore. Yes. Because there's such yeah. a pattern that's developed. Yeah. So It's great. Yeah. 
So let's talk about like when sexual assault happens, when there's real violation and all of that. Oftentimes people are not talking about it. They're not, mm. they're not going to get help. They're not telling their friends. They're not um, going to the police. They're not, they're not doing whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So why is it that we stay silent so often mm-hmm. when these really things happen? I see a huge shift happening where women are coming forward after even after years of assault. And yeah. So, um, and oftentimes you're seeing in our culture and from different, it, from both political sides, it doesn't even, you know, it doesn't matter where it's at, but you see this question, uh, well, why didn't she come forward earlier? Or mm. why, why are you just now talking about it? Or right. why were you silent? Or why didn't you report it? That's a huge question we see. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, the biggest thing is that, uh, people don't know that it was assault. And now our culture is finally call- naming what assault is. Right. So there's a shift in being able to uh, put the blame where it belongs. Yeah. And I think also silence is safer if you don't want to be blamed, if you don't want to be questioned, if you don't want to have to repeat the story. Mm-hmm. In reporting it, people don't talk about, I mean, it's how horribly painful and re-traumatizing it is. It mm-hmm. can be anyway to mm-hmm. to even report something. And so it's the most under-reported crime of all. Of mm. all crimes in the United States, yeah. it's the most underreported for that reason. Yeah. The other thing too is uh, not knowing assault as assault, or not believing that the person who loved you could have done that to you, mm-hmm. or the person that you knew, because that is a really common occurrence. Is most most of the time it is someone you know mm-hmm. that committed the assault, and so it can be really tricky trying to talk about and navigate something so painful when it involves someone that you know or a family member or someone that was supposed to have cared for you. Right. And then, of course, not knowing how to seek help, not knowing who would respond well, because oftentimes family members don't even respond well mm-hmm. to something like that. And so there's so many reasons why. There's yeah. so many reasons why women, yeah. or victims, rather. Um, it goes badly so often when you come forward. Time. Yeah. 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 The blame gets reinforced yeah the blame that we're often so badly not wanting to carry but carry anyway Mm -hmm. from our societal Mm -hmm. norms and rape culture um that we want to disown so badly and so silence is safer yeah sometimes yeah and that's why i think for for folks like us the me too movement is very exciting it's like we're we're really starting to get we're really starting to move forward in this area we're really starting to allow ourselves to be angry mm-hmm. um, and name things yes right we're really starting to allow ourselves and each other to label these things correctly mm-hmm. and say we're done mm-hmm. pretending that this is just oh this is just you know a silly mm-hmm. thing that happened or he didn't mean it or yeah. whatever we're really done doing that right. so it's a really exciting time in history for us mm-hmm. to be able to name things appropriately mm-hmm. and that it's no longer black and white I think that's the other thing, too, is that for so long in the media and the way that assault has been portrayed is that it's very black and white, such as a woman walking down a dark alley and a man aggressively grabbing her and raping her. Mm-hmm. Like, that is it's like, oh, everyone can get on board that that's assault. Right. 
Um, but then, of course, the narrative around, well, maybe she asked for it because she was in the dark alley. There's still, you know, <laughs> there's still all this, like, pushback about yeah. um, where the blame is in yeah. this culture. But we can now have more complicated conversations yes. and with, with the Me Too movement. We are yeah. now allowing for conversations, like, around Aziz Ansari and um, different celebrities that have done different things that it doesn't actually mean that it doesn't, the assaulter isn't a monster, most mm, of the time, isn't mm. a monster in the dark alley. Right. It's people we know and love. It's faces yeah. we really we admire and look mm-hmm. up to. And so that's really complicated and mm-hmm. scary to have conversations about people who are not monsters because we would prefer it to be black yeah. and white, right? Yeah. So let's talk about the impact of sexual violation. What happens? And both you and I have these experiences in our history, and we had some similar reactions to them, and then also some really different reactions, too. Mm-hmm. And I think probably between the two of us, we sort of cover um, the gamut of how to, people typically respond to these kinds of experiences. So do you want to talk a little bit about what you see this, the, the stages or the, the pieces of this being like for you? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so, well, first I will say like in your brain, in our actual physiology, mm-hmm. the part of the brain that, that kind of alarms us of danger or something not being right, a threat to us, um, is it, it alarms us in a way that we can act with fight, flight, or freeze. People often know about the fight and flight, but not usually the freeze. Yeah. We see it in all mammals, that ability to freeze up when there's danger, such as a deer in the headlights, mm-hmm. right? When there's danger and mm-hmm. the brain shuts down to protect itself. And so um, what we actually see in the, the situations of assault from varying degrees, all the way from rape to you know indecent exposure, non-contact assault, the whole gamut, the biggest response, most common response is freeze. So part of, again, moving out of a black and white narrative where like the girl or the victim is like kicking and screaming and fighting the person off, that's the fight response. Like that's actually not that common. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the the more common of just sort of lay there and be still or be quiet or uh, pretend this isn't happening or pretend to be enthusiastic or uh, you know it's sort of just shut down it's mm-hmm. like a it's what we would call dissociation in yeah. therapy right of yeah. like sort of distancing your body from your mind to protect yourself from feeling the pain of what's happening mm-hmm. or from even believing that it's happening right believing like this person who cares about me or this guy I've been dating or this you know whoever mm-hmm. um is is taking this to a level I am not comfortable with and yeah. don't know how to say no to and all these things that we've kind of talked about. Mm-hmm. So freeze, that's really common. And and then, of course, there's a lot of shame around freeze because right. of the media and what we think we're supposed to do um, when we're being hurt is fight off or say no or scream or cry. And that often isn't what our body gives us. And so there's no shame in our brain giving us the tool that it knows how to best protect us, mm-hmm. which is shut down. And so there's no shame in that. And just knowing that that is a common response, it's um, helpful in looking at the immediate aftershock of an event of assault usually is disbelief. Yes. Shock, fear, disbelief. Yeah. Yeah. It it takes you by surprise. Um, You know, I think that's why, that's part of why freeze happens is you're just, you didn't see this coming. So you didn't yes. get a chance to prepare yourself. You didn't get yes. a chance to think about what what you were going to say or do. All totally. of a sudden, something is thrust upon you, and you didn't you weren't ready. Totally. 
Totally. You didn't have a choice. You didn't sign off on this. Mm -hmm. And then there it is. And so very typically people are going into freeze. And that's why that's that's the story we hear over and over. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, your brain did not help you out, mm-hmm. right? Like we just went into overwhelm mm-hmm. and we froze. Totally. And that's very normal. Yes, mm-hmm. very normal. And, you know, God bless the the people who are able to fight and fight. Yeah, yeah, super fortunate. <laughs> Not common. Super fortunate yeah. if your yeah. body is able to do that for you. Yeah, but I think that's the thing. is like there is no shame in what your brain did in an instant. Yeah. That you didn't actually have con- – you were not in your language center of your brain. Yes. You were not in conscious prefrontal cortex, right? right. So you were not in a uh, – you know, executive functioning, this is what I would like to do right now, kind of <laughs> right, mindset. Right. So it's not your fault mm-hmm. if, um, however you respond, fight, flight, or freeze is not your conscious yeah. fault. So. so then right after assault, what typically happens for folks? Yeah, so uh, the big thing that we see and then in our experiences um, are, is disbelief. Uh-huh. First, I would say that um, long-term and short-term, like 81% of female survivors and 35% of male survivors report significant impacts such as PTSD uh-huh. or symptoms of PTSD. Nightmares and mm-hmm. not being able to sleep and startle response. And yes, exactly. Depression, Low all self-esteem, of those things. body image, yeah. eating disorders are highly correlated related right um relationship issues trust of course yeah Yeah. those are all sort of the things that are lots of damage yeah so disbelief i would say Mm -hmm. um, or denial of it being what it was yeah is sort of yeah even though a lot of things are going on now inside of you because of this experience sort of what our head is doing is like this is not a big deal this is not a big deal Mm-hmm. And we're trying to find ways around really acknowledging how scared, how mad, how powerless we actually feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Scary. Scary. So we're minimizing, we're denying, we're minimizing. Mm-hmm. And then often for some of us, sort of depending on your context, like some of us feel like, well, what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to get over this. And one of the ways I can get over this is by forgiving the person who did this to me. Like, I need to let go of it. Totally. So how can I let go of it? Well, I can forgive, right? I'm just going to just gonna really work that out um, through forgiveness. And, and, and while, I mean, it's a lovely concept, right? Forgiveness is real important. Um, but really bypassing all the stuff that needs to happen before we get to a place where we can really let go of something. Exactly. And, uh, but that is, I think, a pretty uh, common response also for, for folks in a, like a faith community or that sort of thing is where there's this pressure to, you know, we need to move past this and forgiving mm-hmm. is how we move past things, yeah. which is really another form of denial, honestly, mm-hmm. when um, there's not been enough processing going on. Totally. Yeah. And it can be so painful to the person because then there's no actual opportunity to feel the weight of the pain. I I would say that it's both and. It's both a resource to someone to not feel it for Mm -hmm. a time. And then it's also, it has consequences of not feeling it and not dealing with it. Yeah. So there's a reason why some of us deny it because it's too painful and we're trying to protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. But there are consequences to like not feeling it um, and not and not actually going through that anger and through the grief and through the sadness. And then I think also if we're not facing it, then we do inadvertently carry the blame and the shame of it. Mm -hmm. If we're not putting the responsibility on the perpetrator, 
Yeah. Then we're carrying the responsibility, at least unknowingly. Yeah. But a lot of times knowingly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I didn't say no, so it's my fault. Well, I kissed him first, so it's my fault. Well, I was drunk, so it's my fault. You know, mm-hmm. so it's so many narratives around that. Yeah. Yeah, and that what we often see after the initial phase uh, of, an, of an assault is the ripple effects of that and how people start, like, shutting down physically or acting out physically and mm-hmm. um, finding some way to sort of avoid what's going on inside. Totally. So you were talking about those as being like ripple effects, right? Of like, um, this this thing has left a big mark mm-hmm. and I can't look at that. I can't look at what it's done to me. So what I'm doing instead is trying to find some ways to get around it. Mm-hmm. And I do that by either... Um, feeling really powerful sexually and like being in control of my sexuality. So oftentimes we see like folks really acting out sexually Mm -hmm. and sort of in some ways reenacting, but from a place of like, I'm in charge. Yes. I decide when and how and if. Totally. And then we also see sort of the other end of the spectrum, which is more like the shutting down and like, I gotta, I gotta try to keep this all at bay. This is Mm -hmm. all very overwhelming for me. So I'm, I can't inhabit my body, right? It's too scary in here. Totally. So, like, I got to shut down mm-hmm. um, my sexuality to try to stay safe. Yeah, I would say that's part of my story was the acting out and then also drinking. So, you were we were talking about earlier how, like, eating disorders or body-based mm-hmm. um, disorders, like drinking, eating disorders, um, in different ways that we, like punish ourselves after an abuse because it is like a body-based violation Mm -hmm. and our bodies don't feel safe to inhabit as you said right and so um the drinking for me was like numbing very numbing Mm -hmm. and helpful at the time Mm -hmm. not long term obviously but it was like a sort of a band-aid experience for me for a time and then the ripple effect started to settle in so Mm -hmm. the pain of like lost relationships and ruined friendships and um because we're not making good decisions and no. we're <laughs> oh my gosh no we're kind of out of control and, yes yeah, yeah. People are like what are you doing totally a yeah. lot of attention seeking behaviors and and it makes sense of course looking back and i can have so much compassion for that girl yeah who was really trying her best to make sense of what happened or forget what happened rather mm-hmm. you know for mm-hmm. really forget what happened and um and that was you know for a time that was the best resource i had and then and then sort of reality started to settle in with like these ruined relationships and um, these things not actually solving anything for me. Right. They they just didn't solve anything. These yeah. relationships with these different people didn't solve anything for me. And so I started to really suffer from those symptoms, mm-hmm. suffer from the drinking, suffer from those um, yeah. painful relationships and empty relationships, I, I really would yeah. say. And so I had a lot of like depression and anxiety and I... I think the biggest thing that was like the turning point for me was finding myself repeating beha- like behaviors that didn't help me mm-hmm. and that actually hurt me. And I would continue to do them over and over and over, not knowing that I, I mean, really feeling like I didn't have any control whatsoever. Yeah. So it's yeah. like compulsive acting out and still, and, and I remember weeping, like after mm-hmm. any time I would act out in those ways, just weeping, like, why did I do this again? Yeah, yeah. Why did I do this again? And yeah. so much blame again, of course, like, why am I doing this? And, right. um, and so it, it finally got to a point of like really safe female relationships that kept reflecting to me, it's okay that you're doing this, but you're worth so much more than yeah. it too. Like, yeah. You're not a monster for doing these things, mm-hmm. but also 
you're so loved mm-hmm. and you deserve so much more than this. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to hear you describe um, the dynamics of the acting out because it's so identical to the eating disorder mm. dynamic, right? Like that that was my response to uh, my childhood molest was to develop bulimia. And it wasn't until I was sitting in a college class where um, I, I still remember seeing the slide up on the board of like the correlation between bulimia and and um, sexual abuse. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. I First of all, I didn't know I was bulimic. Secondly, because this was, you know, 40 years ago, mm-hmm. um, didn't know I was bulimic and had no idea that those two things were connected. And all of a sudden going like, this makes 100% sense to wow. me for the first time in my life. This makes sense. Why I'm treating myself mm-hmm. so badly. Why I'm doing things I feel terrible about. Mm-hmm. While I, why I'm weeping about the things that I'm doing to myself mm-hmm. and feel completely helpless mm-hmm. about what I'm doing to myself. Right? It's mm-hmm. just like it's the same dynamic as mm-hmm. you know your choice was your your behaviors were different, mm-hmm. but the, the same generated by the same yes. kind of pain. Yes. Right? So it's sort of like I, but what just came to me was like someone hurts us. It almost gives us permission to keep keep the hurting going. Yes. Yeah. It's sort of like, uh, here's the wound. Yeah. Almost like it's necessary. Yeah. 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 But in our best attempts to not feel the wound. Right. Right. The wound keeps getting bigger. Yes. So this is unsustainable, obviously. Right. right? And I'm so thankful for the girlfriends that I had and the resources I had that I feel like makes my experience unique uh, or different than, of course, um, people who with fewer resources because yeah. I was able to get therapy and I was able to show up and mm-hmm. um, actually do some healing in that context. Right. And this is often when I, th- I, th- I think is when we see clients coming in is like they're sort of at a point where they've been through a lot of, um, they've been through carrying this for a long time and doing, you know, whatever version of hurting themselves and just feeling like I got to do something different. I don't know what this is about. I don't know mm-hmm. how to stop. Um, what I'm doing to myself, but I know that I'm not doing well and I need someone to help me explore what all of this is about. So yeah, and then then the journey takes a, you know, it takes a big left turn. It's like now we got to like, we actually got to look at this. Mm-hmm. We actually got to look at what happened mm-hmm. and how you feel about it. And we got to get mm-hmm. really honest totally. about all of that, about what it was, who was in charge, Mm-hmm. and what it felt like to you. Mm-hmm. And then oftentimes what we see is like lots of rage. Oh, yeah. Lots of powerlessness, lots mm-hmm. of helplessness. Mm-hmm. And it's so important for us to acknowledge I am equal parts livid mm-hmm. and equal parts feeling so vulnerable in the world. Totally. And that's because of these experiences. Mm-hmm. And that's super important to put all lay all that on the table yeah. of of the assault whether it was whether it was one or whether it was a whole bunch of times like mm-hmm. this is where this comes from mm-hmm. this way of looking at myself this way of interacting with the world mm-hmm. this is where this comes from right yeah yeah i think i mean the rage thing is so important like you said of like when in my process anyway of healing um and what i see for other women and victims i would say like getting anger back online can help mm-hmm. integrate in the power that was taken from them right. or, or at least was an experience in those moments of freeze or assault. And mm-hmm. so um, I think anger can be a really 
really good and important and necessary tool to help people know the power that they currently have, Mm -hmm. the know that they currently have, the boundaries that they have in public with people, the the energy they get to kind of reconnect to Mm -hmm. in their body. Mm -hmm. And so... um, yeah, I think like for me personally, like I think the development of anger was first towards the the abuser. So, he ultimately did the thing. Yeah. So, he committed the rape. There's no one else responsible for that but him. Mm-hmm. And then of course, then how people treated me and responded to the assault when I had talked about it. I was angry at them. Yeah, I sure. I was angry at my family. I was angry at friends who didn't know how to handle it or responded in silence or didn't ever follow up or the blame that I got inadvertently when they asked, how much did you drink or what oh, were gosh. you wearing? Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. And no, it's the <laughs> it's worst. So, so angry, super angry. But that angry. happens all the, time, all the time, right? Those questions, like people are trying to make sense of it in their head and for yes. some reason... They there's a part of them that wants to lay some of the blame at your feet. Yes. I don't totally because again, know what that's about. This person's but... not a monster. Yes. So it's not black and white. Yes. So well good. he's not a monster, so you have to have some of the blame because right. he's not a scary, creepy monster in the right. in the alley. So it's like again, uh, because of the society that we live in, there there are people who are not monsters that are rapists. Yeah. And yeah. that's a really scary Great. thing to acknowledge it's good to and say see. That. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um so, and then, of course, the narrative of, like, well, he didn't mean to. But, again, mm. it's like, even if he didn't mean to, which he did, let's be clear. He was 30 <laughs> and I was 17. And uh-huh. I was blacked out drunk. And so... A hundred percent. One hundred percent responsible. One hundred percent intended to. But even if he didn't, that doesn't mean it wasn't assault. Yeah. It doesn't mean it wasn't violating yeah. to this I mean, girl. sex doesn't happen by accident. No. Right? Right. Take some doing. Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. So, yeah. So, I would just say real quick, just... um. The anger, I think, that people would find helpful, that was part of my story, that it, that can be really helpful, is anger at the systems in place that, yeah. create, that also created yeah, that monster. Yeah, there's a lot right? to be angry at. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, um, you know, going back to the Me Too movement, I think this is the one of the things that I'm excited about regarding that, is it's, it's really creating so much permission for women to say with each other, I am so mad. I'm like, yeah, me too, right? Like, mm-hmm. we're all real mad. Good for mm-hmm. us. We should be mad it's about time we got mad about this right right? so that's such an important piece of the healing is to Mm -hmm. acknowledge and express right Mm -hmm. that rage is super important yeah um then the next step that we want to move into after expressing the rage and all of that is finding ways to empower ourselves right Mm -hmm. like to find ways to um build our sense of fight and flight, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I want to be able to, if I'm ever in a situation like this with somebody again, I want to be able to know what to do. And so I'm going to practice. I'm going to uh, look for some models around me. We talked about, like, looking for women in your life who are Enneagram 8s, who are, like, the <laughs> challengers. They're the ones who have a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not afraid to stand up for themselves often, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, uh, let's look for some of those women in our lives like they know how to stand their ground and we don't know exactly why or how they know that uh probably because being overrun a bunch of times that they figured it out it's like they maybe they could be our spirit animals maybe (laughs) we could watch them and i think this is this is one of the things that um i actually turn to my daughter toward is watching she she knows how to fight for herself 
And uh, so it's really inspiring to me to think sometimes when I'm in a situation where I feel overpowered emotionally, right? Like more, more in that situation where I feel sort of threatened by somebody's aggressiveness toward me, I sort of think in my head, what would Katie do? Mm-hmm. And she would head on, mm-hmm. head on. What do you think you're doing? What do you think, you know, that sort mm-hmm. of thing of just being able to like uh, work on my fight response. Mm-hmm. So, like, moving through that anger is obviously important. Um, we don't want to stay in anger forever. But I think what you said about me, too, of just, like, the solidarity can create a, a good sense of empowerment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, not having to share your story necessarily on social media or feeling that pressure to share your story before you're ready. But more of this sense of, like, knowing that there are others out there finding their power. Mm-hmm. And so it can be really helpful to find the women in our lives that really... Um, own their power, own their boundaries, own their nose, right? Mm -hmm. So I think um, that, I mean, and particularly for me, was really helpful finding the really strong women in my life that are like, no, girl, mm -mm, not for you, right? (laughs) For these, you know, different situations. But um, so moving through the anger, owning the power from that anger Mm -hmm. of... um, who I am in the world and that I do have resources, that I do have um, boundaries in public and that sort of just a reclaiming of who I am and that this this part of me, this, this assault is not my identity. It's yes. just part of my story, something that happened to me yeah. that I do not own, that I do not have responsibility over, but that is part of, part of my history mm-hmm. and part of tons of other women's history yes. and tons of other, other men's history Since too. Since the beginning of time. Since the beginning of time. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, one of the things I would say too is um, for me in moving past and through um, and including empowerment in my story was also getting in touch with my body in pleasurable ways. Yes. So important because right. if we're just, um, you know, as victims of assault, it, it, there is sort of like a negative experience in your body. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then of course the punishment that might happen after the fact to our bodies because yeah. of it. Um, the sort of opposite experience is pleasure and, and then finding what are, what are the things that are pleasurable to me? So if that's like, lotion on my legs um or loose clothes that Mm. feel really good or different like eating for pleasure right Mm. like there's so many negative bad morality talk around certain foods but just eating for pleasure too right um, giving myself permission to do that and and then of course sexually too i think that's really important for clients um knowing uh, what their preferences are what their nose are what doesn't feel good anymore since the assault and maybe mm. what's off the table for a time or yeah. different things like that I think are really, really important to explore yeah. and to to have clarity on. That's great. So we're, we're really talking about like developing a resilience, right, of like um, figuring out how to embody my own body again, right, yes. to like make it my own, mm-hmm. like this is mine and... Um, I'm going to treat it with tenderness Mm -hmm. and I'm going to guard it and I'm going to enjoy it Mm -hmm. and I'm going to share it when I want to and I'm going to protect it when I don't want to share it and that all of those things are my right to do. Mm -hmm. And having clarity about what those things are is part of that process. Yeah, exactly. Great. All right. Anything else you want to say about this? No, I think okay. that covers it. It's a lot of things. For a short podcast, more to come. <laughs> Hope you all are okay after listening to that. 
Um, we'd love to hear from you if you have thoughts or responses to this. We've actually added a button on our website where you can leave a little voicemail on our podcast page um, if you want to leave us a little message about um, thoughts or responses or questions you have, um, and we'd be happy to address those. So this podcast could have been very... um triggering or at the very least maybe stir some things up in listeners and so we just encourage you to take care of yourself today mm-hmm. to really take care of yourself if that means draw yourself a bath if you have time or um or eat something yummy or um you know hug a small child hug, hug a small child <laughs> yeah um but really importantly um it, you can reach out to a therapist in your community to um, process through any of this that's coming up for you um We also encourage you to find your person. If uh, you have a safe person in your life that you feel like you can share your story with, um, that that is a good starting place for Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, super great. All right, guys, we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Soul Care House podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Any questions or comments you have, if there are topics you'd like us to address, let us know. Feel free to contact me at elaine at soulcarehouse.com. If you're interested in knowing more about what we do here at Soul Care, our website is soulcarehouse.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle there is soulcarehouse and barn. Talk to you soon.